best way to stay engaged during this time is to open up your copy of God's Word. If you need that pew Bible right in front of you, take that. Turn to page 8. Page 8, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9 this morning, picking back up in our sermon series that we paused for the last seven weeks, ready to jump back in this morning. If you've come this morning and you don't own a Bible, we want to give you that copy of God's Word right in front of you. Take that home, uh, read it. We'd love to connect you with someone here if we can help with that. To connect you with someone here to help you read the Bible, see one of our pastors at the door afterwards, or any of our members would be happy to connect you with that. Let me read Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9, as we begin our time here this morning. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him, from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Let's bow and pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would open up our hearts to receive your word this morning, that we'd be changed by your living word this morning. We pray you'd work in us for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, which seat do you prefer while riding in the car? The driver's seat or the passenger seat? You might say it just depends on who's driving, right? I mean, if, if it's your teenager with a learning permit, you might prefer to be in the driver's seat. And I'm not picking on my teenager with a learning permit because I know the only time I heard my dad scream in fear was when I was a teenager with a learning permit driving. The only time I heard him scream in fear. Right? We might be comfortable based on who's driving or who's not. But some of us, regardless, we just like to be in the driver's seat. When you're in the driver's seat, you're in control. You can determine which route you want to take. You can determine what's too fast or too slow. Maybe you trust yourself more than the next person if a thunderstorm comes along and you've got to navigate through a difficult situation. When you're in the passenger seat, you, you don't have that type of control. I know some of you are backseat drivers, like you like to have that type of, you like to exercise that control, but still you don't have that control. The person behind the wheel has that control. If you feel like they're moving too fast or moving too slow, all you can do is make a comment or ask them to slow down. You have to trust the one who's driving. Well, I recently heard someone compare the journey in the Christian life to being in the passenger seat. The Christian life is one where we've submitted to the reality that God is in control. 
that he's in control of everything and, and everyone. And by God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, we've submitted to his loving authority over us. And so we're in the passenger seat as the journey of our lives unfolds. God is in control, and that's good news. Because when we understand that God is in control, we understand the passenger seat is a wonderful place to be. It's not always easy. It's not always comfortable. But it's a wonderful place to be when you trust God's sovereign control over everything. Through every twist and turn, through every storm that we encounter, He is in control. Our Father in heaven... Getting your attention now. Thank you, Lord. Our Father in heaven, the one who spoke the universe into existence, his power, his love ruling over you, guiding and directing us for his glory and for our good. He never drives too fast. He never drives too slow. We may feel like that sometimes, like life is going too fast or life isn't going the way we wanted it to, but his timing is always perfect. He never gets lost. We may feel confused at times, but God has never lost. His way is always the right way. He's the one who is in control of our safe passage from this life to the next. He is our God and King. And it brings us comfort and joy when we submit to being in that passenger seat, knowing just how good and wise and strong and perfect and powerful our God is. You see, life in the passenger seat is a life of trusting God. It's a life of faith. And our growth along this journey is growing and trusting Him. Growing and, and being comforted by His loving control over our lives. You see, it's comforting to Christians to be reminded of that truth this morning, that we're not in the driver's seat of our lives, that, that God is, that He has a far better future for our life that we could secure on our own. His plans are better than ours could ever be. His ways better than our ways. And in the book of Genesis, Moses was reminding the people of Israel of God's sovereign plan over them. He was comforting them. We've said the book of Genesis is a book of comfort. We often think about opening up to the Psalms to be comforted. Wonderful place to turn. Turning to one of the Gospels, wonderful place to be turned, to be comforted. But I think in our study of Genesis, we've seen all of God's word brings comfort, and particularly we see in the book of Genesis the aim of Moses, the narrator, to comfort God's people there and to remind them that their God is in control. This God who created the universe, he is their king. This God who gave promises to Abraham, their God, be comforted in his love and his power and his wisdom. Well, before pausing for the summer, we spent most of this year in the book of, of Genesis, and we made it to the first 11 chapters of the book. Now that section of Genesis covered a number of generations. It moved quickly from Adam and Eve uh, to Seth to Noah and the flood to the Tower of Babel and the dispersion and division of the nation. And those first 11 chapters left us off here in Genesis 12, nations divided. And in chapter 12, here's a blessing being promised to the nations. And this section, the, the story slows down, really in the rest of Genesis. It slows down, and it just traces through Abram, who would be named Abraham, and his family, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. It slows down, it focuses on God's promise, and on his 
plan. So at the end of chapter 11, we saw a new generation begin there. So we've noticed throughout the book of Genesis this intentional structure of generations. At the end of 11, we left off with the generation of Terah, Abram's father. And that goes all the way through chapter 25. That's where we're going to be for quite some time. And in this section, we see the story unfold of God's promise to bless the nations through Abraham. So chapter 12, where we are this morning, is a chapter that teaches us about faith. Now, faith might be a word that you use often, but if you're asked to define faith or describe faith, you might find yourself wondering, like, well, how do I define this? How, how do I describe faith? It, it might be more difficult to define than we think at first. When the Bible, we, we find faith often described and defined through living illustrations. I mean, think about Hebrews chapter 11, this chapter of faith, the hall of faith. What it uses is living illustration after living illustration. People of God who walk by faith to teach us what living by faith looks like. So if you want to understand faith, the story of Abram, one of the first places in the Bible that you would turn to. So this section of Genesis, it gives us a living illustration of faith in the life of of Abraham. Well, in our passage this morning, we find two pictures of living by faith. If you're taking notes this morning, we've got notes pages in your bulletin. This is our outline for this morning. We find two pictures of living by faith. The first picture we find in verses 1 through 3, through 3, by faith, we have confidence in God's promises. First part of our outline this morning, verses 1 through 3, by faith, we have confidence in God's promises. Let me get my water here this morning. I'm going to need it. Well, let's consider this first part here of having confidence in God's promises. Now, this section, it opens up with something we haven't seen in Genesis since chapter 9. God speaking. You see there in chapter 9, God spoke to Noah as the Lord initiated a, a covenant with Noah. And now here in chapter 12, God spoke to Abram. And he called him in verse 1, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house, <clears throat> excuse me, to the land that I will show you. This was God's word. This was a command coming from God that Abram was to leave his homeland and follow the Lord. So in the book of Genesis, we have seen God revealed as the creator and as the Redeemer. God spoke at creation. He spoke everything into existence by the power of His Word. And here in redemption, God spoke again. He spoke to Abram. God's Word is full of power. God's Word brings life. God's Word redeems. And that's what we see God's Word doing here in verse 1 with Abram. Now, the word of the Lord coming to Abram, it's a turning point in the story of the Bible. We can trace our redemption as Christians this morning back to this moment in Genesis chapter 12 with God redeeming Abram and forming a people through him. God called Abram to leave his homeland, to disassociate himself from his present life, from his relatives and from his father's household. This was a call to worship. This call to leave his homeland wasn't just like, hey, change your geographic location. It was a call out of the land of idolatry to a land of worship that God was going to give to Abram. So remember back to chapter 11. We've already read about 
Abram living in the land of Ur, which would have been southern Iraq. That was a land of idolatry. It was a land of worship of false gods. At that time that God called Abram, he and his family were idol worshipers. They were pagans worshiping false gods. In fact, Joshua reflects back in Joshua chapter 24, verse 2. It says Abram and his family served other gods, lowercase g, false gods. So the Lord calling Abram out in verse 1, that was a call of conversion. It was a call to redeem him, to save him out of idolatry, to call him to worship the one true God, a call to be counted as a part of God's family. Now, chapter 12 is known as a chapter of faith and obedience. We're going to get to that. Those are major themes of this chapter. But don't miss that the story of Abram begins here with God's grace, with God's unmerited favor. God graciously called Abram out of sin and darkness to be a worshiper of the one true God. So Abram's story is a story of God's grace. God didn't call Abram because of anything that he did. God did not call Abram because he was seeking really hard after God and trying to do the right thing in life. God called Abram as a sinner, as a pagan, as an idol worshiper serving false gods. God graciously called him to turn away from this life of idolatry and to go into a different land that he would be a worshiper of the one true God. You know, sometimes when we come to Scripture, we're asking the question, hey, what do I need to do on Monday morning? Like, what am I hearing today that I need to do on Monday morning? Not a bad question to ask. But sometimes we're, we're so narrowly focused on, like, the next action step that we might miss one of the greatest applications to God's Word. Sometimes the greatest application and the next step is to stand in awe of God, to be humbled by God's Word, to stand in awe of His grace. Christian, why are you a Christian this morning? Well, you might say, well, mom and dad told me the gospel, and by God's grace I believed it, or, or my, my roommate in college told me the gospel, and I, and I believed it. You might point to someone who shared the gospel to you, who had a positive influence on me, and, and that's wonderful. We all have those testimonies, but on an even greater scale than that, you're a Christian because God saved you. You're a Christian because God is gracious. You're not a Christian because you just needed a little bit more help. You're already on the right path, and God just nudged you a little bit to continue going that way. You're a Christian because God loved you before you loved him. God saved you when you were not seeking him. You're a Christian because God is gracious. That is our testimony this morning. Every member of this church, regardless of whether you came to Christ at five years old or 80, because I baptized someone in their 80s on the backfield this past summer, regardless of when you came to Christ, your testimony is, the blood of the Lamb saved my soul. God is gracious, and I stand redeemed by His grace and His grace alone. Brothers and sisters, may we be reminded when we see passages like this that we have every reason to rejoice in God. He has been so good to us, and all that we have is of His grace. That might be the greatest application you make from Scripture this morning. Well, God called Abram out, the rest of the book of Genesis and the rest of the Bible connected to God's calling in that moment. Now, the call for Abram to, to leave his homeland, to leave his nation, to leave his family and relationships was to leave behind all that he knew, all that was familiar, 
all that was comfortable, to, to go. But to go where? I mean, you don't see the details here. There were no details. He wasn't handed a map like, hey, here's a brochure that shows you this wonderful pictures of this new land I'm going to take you. And here's what it's going to be like. This was a call just simply to, to go, to pack up and follow the Lord to a land that Abram didn't know. Verse 1 gave him everything he needed to know there. Go to the land that I will show you. So this passage is understood as a test of, of faith in God. In this journey to a new land, Abram was in the passenger seat. He was trusting God to take him to this new land. Isn't that what life is like in the passenger seat for us? We rely on God to direct us, to provide for us, to, to guide us. In our, in our own fleshly hesitancy, if we think about it, that is not always comfortable. Trusting God with your future, uh, when and how God will answer your prayers. If you're a parent wondering will your children grow up to follow him, that's not always comfortable to think about. We can often experience fear. Now, we'll see fear, Lord willing, next week in Genesis 10. So if you read this morning, you're like, man, Abram just had such incredible faith. We see his flaws. We see his fear very quickly. And far too often, we find ourselves giving in to, to fear. Will God provide the spouse that you've been praying for? A lot of times that gets uncomfortable. What about your, your future physically? How long are you going to live? When might your health decline? We don't know, but God does. If the last 18 months corporately taught us anything, it's just how much we do not know about the future. And just as we thought we knew what was going on, here comes Delta. And people are wondering, what's the fall going to be like? What's school going to be like? Am I going back to the tower uptown? Do I got to put a mask on next week? Is Pastor Dave going to make me wear a mask to worship? I don't know. We'll see what happens. Please be pleasant about it. We're reminded we just don't control the future. And for a lot of us, we don't like that. And we get angry and we get upset and we get frustrated. And that frustration, that anger, it just reveals a heart that needs to trust God, that needs to submit to him, that needs to understand he is in control. Following the Lord by faith, it's not a life that's always comfortable, but it's a life of joy. It's a life of peace. It's a life of resting in God and his perfect plan. Now, while Abram could not see this land that God was calling him to, God's plan wasn't to lead Abram by sight. That's not what faith is. It's not leading you by sight. God would lead Abram, though, by his promises. So don't understand that faith is just closing your eyes and hoping everything turns out okay. That's not what faith is. Faith is believing God's promises. If you want to write that down this morning, it's a simple definition of faith. Faith is believing God and his promises. And what God did here in verses 2 and 3, he gave promise after promise for Abram to cling to. This was a call to, to go, a call of faith. But what God equipped him with was promises from his word. Listen in these couple, first couple of verses to all that God says he will do. At the end of verse 1, I will show you the land. Verse 2, I will make you a great nation. Verse 3, I will bless you. Verse 4 implies, I will make your name great. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you. Verse 6, I will curse those who curse you. These were God's promises of what he would do. He gave these promises to Abram, that Abram would cling to God's promise by faith. Now, all of this in verses 2 and 3, it's the framework of a covenant relationship. Promises given here, 
God obligating himself to Abram. The covenant is initiated here in chapter 12. We'll see later in chapter 15 in coming weeks the covenant ratified. But here it's initiated with God moving towards Abram and graciously giving him promises of all that he would do. You see, these, these I will statements, these I will declarations help us understand more of the substance of faith. Faith isn't just closing our eyes and trying to be optimistic about life. Faith isn't just being a really positive person. We don't know what this fall is going to be like. It's not just say, oh, everything's going to be okay. We don't know. This could be a really hard season of life coming up for all of us. Our, our hope is not in circumstances. Our hope is in our God and King. And faith, what it is, it's not just closing our eyes and wishing for a good outcome. It's clinging to the promises of God. I believe God. He is who He said He is. I trust Him. His promises are true and right and good. My life, by God's grace, is built upon His promises. Now, throughout the Bible, you see I will statements. And maybe look for them this week when you're reading in the Bible. So my Bible reading plan this past week, I was in the end of Deuteronomy chapter 28 and 29 and 30, and God was encouraging his people through Moses there, trying trying to lead them away from discouragement and fear. And I just saw, I will, I will, I will. And and then Moses was pointing God's people saying, here's what the Lord promises to do. You see, these I will promises have brought strength and courage to God's people for thousands of years. Continuing on in the New Testament, we find Jesus, the Son of God, using this phrase, I will, when he made promises. Consider what Jesus, the Son of God, promised as he said, I will, in Matthew chapter 11, 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will what? I will give you rest. We find rest, we find strength in what God has done and what he is doing today, and what he promises to do. You see, brothers and sisters, we we find rest as we trust God and his promises. The Christian life, a a life of faith, it's a life of trusting what God has already done in Christ and what he promises to continue to do in Jesus. So if if we want to be strengthened in our faith this morning, if we want to be encouraged in our faith, if you want to encourage someone else around you, don't use just cliches that everything's going to get better. Let's cling to God's word. Let's minister to one another by pointing each other to scripture and to God's word. I wonder who you could encourage in this church this week by pointing them to the word of God, by simply texting them, hey, I'm praying this passage for you this week, by getting together and having lunch and saying, let's talk about God's word and what this means and how we're to live in light of this. You see, the Bible is how we hear the voice of God today. You may see this and say, okay, God spoke to Abram. That really happened. It's not just some sort of illustration. God really spoke to Abram. Well, God speaks today to you and I through the power of his Holy Spirit, through the word of God. So think of your time in the Bible, not just being checking off something to do on your to-do list. Let's not think about the Bible like that. Just check, got that done today, 15 minutes before I head off to work, got it done. Think of your time in the Bible as hearing from God. How would that change your time in the Word this week? How would it change your desire to be in the Word of God? I need to hear from God's Word. If I want to be encouraged, if I want to be strengthened, if I want to walk in wisdom, I need to hear from God. When you hear preaching and teaching of God's Word, when you study the Bible in a small group or with someone else this week, when you have devotional time in the Bible, think of it 
as a time to hear from God. Think about what God has said that would encourage your faith that you might trust him more. Well, God's blessing is central to these promises in verses 2 and 3. We see five times here, blessing mentioned. So let's consider what all God promised Abram here. In verse 2, God made the promise personally to Abram. So he's directly talking to Abram, verse 2, and gives him three promises. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Now think about that, that, that promise, I will make of you a great nation. Well, how was God going to do that? Well, he's going to give Abram land and descendants. But, but let's think about this. There's a problem we've already seen here. At the end of chapter 11, verse 30, we see that Abram's wife, Sarai, was barren, was without child. So if God were to make a great nation from Abram, something was going to have to change. Something drastic was going to have to change. He was 75 years old, and his wife was barren. How would a great nation possibly come out of that difficult situation? Another promise continues on in verse 2, I will make your name great. That, that's speaking both quantitatively and qualitatively. So speaking of quantity and number, but also speaking in terms of a, a memorable and significant name. Remember that at Babel, mankind was working to make a great name for themselves. You hear God promises he will be the one to make a great name, and he was going to give it to Abram. You see, magnifies the story when we see the obstacles here. 75-year-old man, wife was barren. It tells us this, God's kingdom was not going to be like the kingdom of Babel. Babel was built by human effort, human strength, human wisdom for their own name's sake. God's kingdom built by God himself for his own name's sake, for his glory, by the power of his Holy Spirit. In the kingdom of God, God gets the glory and his people receive the blessing. Well, in verse 3, the promises, they extend out from Abraham to others. So the shift from verse 2 to verse 3, now God's going to bless people through Abram. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, through Abraham, God's blessing would come to all who would turn and seek him. God's promise for protection was given to Abram that, that anyone who dishonors Abram, God will curse. If you're with Abram, I'll bless you. If you oppose Abram, you're opposing God, then you will be cursed. So in these promises, God was joining himself to Abram, and therefore God would protect him. Think about that. For those who put their trust in God, you have the creator of the universe as your protector. He defends those who belong to him. He never sleeps nor slumbers. He watches over us as close as we have parents or relatives or friends who love us and will defend us. It does not compare to the God most high who always promises to protect his people. At the end of verse 3, we see the, express, the expansion of the blessing go from Abram to those who bless him, to the families of the earth, to the, to the nations. The goal of God blessing Abram is that through him, nations would be blessed. It was never God's plan to only bless Abram and his immediate descendants. It was never God's plan to only bless the nation of Israel, but rather to bless all the families of the earth. In chapter 10, we saw the table of nations, all the families of earth listed. Chapter 11, Tower of Babel, we see the nations dispersed 
and divided. And here in chapter 12, a promise for those nations to be blessed. And God was going to do it through one man, through Abram. Adam and Eve, their disobedience in Eden, it brought curse. But to redeem and bless all nations through Abram's obedience, God worked. You see, the way this promise was fulfilled was not immediately going to be through Abram, though. Again, we'll, we'll follow his story. We see his flaws. We see sin in his life. He, he wasn't the one ultimately that was going to bless the nations. It would be through him, though. Through him, a far-off descendant of Abraham, Jesus of Nazareth. In the New Testament, Matthew's Gospel, you know how it begins? Chapter 1, verse 1. It begins with a genealogy that traces from Abraham to Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 1, the book of the genealogist of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, is how the good news of Matthew begins. And he traces from Abraham all the way to Jesus. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, taught that this moment in Genesis 12, 4 was an advance announcement of the gospel. It's an advance announcement of the coming of Jesus Christ. God's blessing going out to the nations to the Gentiles, would be a blessing that would finally be fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In the book of Galatians, Paul teaches there how you can be counted in this blessing. Those who belong to Christ are a part of Abraham's offspring and family and therefore are blessed. Galatians chapter 3, verse 29 says this, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to to the promise. You see the blessing that God would send through the line of Abraham? Jesus, the Son of God, fully God and fully man, coming down from heaven to bless people from every nation who repent of their sin against God and put their faith in Him for forgiveness of sins. You see, the God of Abraham is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there is no greater blessing than knowing this God. And the only way to know him is to know Jesus. The only way to be connected to this God who created you is to repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ. And that is something you can do today. Just like Abraham was called out of sin, he wasn't living this like, great life trying to obey God. We have no understanding in the book of Genesis that Abram was just an ideal candidate for God to choose to bless the nations through. It was God's sovereign choice. Just like he was called out of sin and idolatry, God calls people today, turn away from sin. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. And if you've come today and you want to know more of what it, it, it looks like to put your faith in Jesus Christ, talk to one of our members who came. Come see us at the door afterwards. We've got a testimony, a baptism testimony. At the end of the service, you'll hear a testimony of someone coming to faith in Jesus. Caden Boutros this morning is going to share that with us. That can be your testimony today if you would turn from sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ. Well, finally, what we see in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, it's a foundation for mission. We could do a whole sermon on missions being founded here in this passage, but it's always been God's plan to bless the nations. God called Abram to go, and Jesus has called the church to what? To go. In Matthew 28, verse 19, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The blessing from Genesis 12 has come in Christ. And as God's people in the church, it's now 
our responsibility to be a people that would bless the nations. We do that by proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, by sending those out to proclaim. And something I'd love for you to do, to, get, to put on your prayer list if you're not already praying, pray that we could resume our short-term mission sending. We're still supporting long-term missionaries. We've got some who are in hard spots, who can't get back into the countries that they were previously serving in. COVID ha has tightened restrictions in a number of different places. Uh, there's all sorts of barriers to us launching things in this coming year. Pray that we could resume these ministries of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Well, today, God's people in the church, we're called to go, to go and make disciples of all nations. And we're also given an I will promise that that mission endeavor will be successful. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, another I will promise from Jesus, the Son of God, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. As we labor with God in his mission, may we rest in his power and in his promises. Well, let's consider in verses 4 through 9, we, we see a, a second picture of living by faith in verses 4 through 9. By faith, we respond to God's word in obedience and worship. By faith, we respond to God's word in obedience and worship. This section, it picks up immediately with Abram's response to God calling him to go. He was called by the Lord himself to go from his homeland to this unknown land. And look at Abram's response in verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. The sense of this passage, it's just an immediate obedience to God. There were no questions. Uh, there was no, I need to sleep on this. Let me think about this a little more. Let, let me consider the cost of this. Count the cost of following you, Lord. No, God called him to go. And Abraham believed God's promises and he went. We also see his nephew Lot went with him. And, and the sense here, the wording communicates, Lot agreed to go by faith as well. Now the scene of God calling Abram to go and Abram leaving reminds us of the similar scene that we heard read earlier from Matthew chapter 4. When, when Jesus was calling uh, Peter and Andrew as his first disciples, Jesus, the Son of God, called them to go and he delivered an I will statement to them. Matthew 4, 19 and he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And what happened in verse 20? Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Abram left his homeland, left his relatives, left his livelihood, left everything that was familiar to go and follow the Lord. Peter and Andrew left their lives, their, their livelihood as fishermen, their, their family, to follow Jesus Christ the Lord. It tells us something about faith. It's leaving behind this present world to follow God. It's putting stock in God's promises and not the promises of this present world. And faith, it's seen in obeying God. Obedience, such an important part of the Christian life. I, I read a biography this summer of John Wesley. And as a Calvinist, I haven't read a ton of Wesley over the years, but I was encouraged to read this and thought it was a wonderful, helpful book for me to read. And uh, big thing about Wesley, he was opposing antinomianism basically a, a view of the Christian life that doesn't consider obedience to be that big of a deal. 
And he was opposing formalism, which is basically like uh, the rituals of Christianity, just showing up for a worship service. And he stressed obedience. So, so his favorite book in the Bible was 1 John. And not a lot of people have 1 John as their favorite book, but he loved 1 John largely because his context he was ministering in was calling people to understand that true faith is seen in obedience. It's a major message, a major test in the letter of 1 John. If you haven't read 1 John, read through it. You'll see different tests, the truth test, the obedience test, the love test. And that test of obedience is how we see sincere faith in Jesus being displayed. We see that in Abram's life. And in fact, the author of Hebrews, he reflected back on Abram's faith and attaches it to obedience. Hebrews 11, verse 8 says this, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. His faith was not in a map of where the land was. His faith wasn't in some sort of description about this land or where he could find it. He went sight unseen. He went in faith, and that was seen in his obedience. God commanded Abram to go. God graciously provided promises that he could cling to. Abraham believed God, and he went. His faith is demonstrated again there in verse 5. Abraham took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, their possessions, and they set out to follow the Lord. That's a picture of total commitment. Abraham didn't leave, say, Sarah, you know, you stay back here. We're just going to, like, leave the home set up, uh, possessions. I'm going to go out here and follow God and figure out what's going on, check this land out. He didn't leave them back to have, like, a plan B in case things didn't work out too well or he didn't like where he was going. The plan simply was to follow God. No turning back. There was no plan B. It was a picture here of total commitment. The plan was full obedience. Well, in obedience, Abram set out to follow the Lord. And in verse 6, we see this journey of faith. It's just briefly mentioned. I, I read this week this journey to the land of Canaan would have been at least around 400 miles of travel. So 400 miles of travel on foot, all his possessions, 75 years old, long journey. It tells us this, that following God doesn't mean an easy journey. It's a good journey. doesn't mean that it'll be without difficulty, though. Think about following the Lord, packing everything up, your whole life. Kids asking you when you're going on a road trip, are we there yet? Imagine how, he got, how often Abram got asked, are we there yet? Where are we going? When are we going to get there? It was all by faith following God. Now when Abram, when he finally arrived in the land of Canaan, the land that God was leading him to, look what he sees there at the end of verse 6. It was filled with people. The Canaanites were there. There wasn't a vacant lot waiting on them. There wasn't wide open country like a valley saying, all right, Abram, this is yours. Take a look at this. Wide open country. Do with it whatever you like. There were people already living there, and not just any people. It was the Canaanites that were living there. If you remember from Genesis chapter 9, verse 25, the Canaanites were a cursed people. They were descendants of Ham's son, Canaan, whom Noah cursed in Genesis chapter 9. Now, God promised Abram land and descendants, and there were obstacles. So, so first, his wife was barren. Where would those descendants come from? But now we see a second obstacle. The land was filled with people, people who didn't know God, people who didn't worship God, people who would become enemies of Abram and his people. See, brothers and sisters, this teaches us another living illustration that a life of worship 
and obedience is not free from obstacles. It's not free from difficulty or barriers. We should expect there will be obstacles and difficulties involved in following God by faith. Faith does not mean the absence of obstacles. It means following God through those obstacles. It's persevering through those obstacles. It's trusting God and being patient in those obstacles. Faith follows God and obeys Him, even in difficult circumstances. And for those in this room that are suffering right now, and I know your story. I know many of you, how you're suffering and the, the difficulties right now you're experiencing in life and the testimony that so many of you have right now and so many of you have as you look back on your suffering is that the obstacles that you have faced or are facing is the very stage that God used to demonstrate his power and his faithfulness. It's the very stage that God used to draw you closer to him in deeper worship and service and obedience to him. Those obstacles are not pleasant, but God uses them for his good, for, for our good and for his glory. Well, in verse 1, we read that the Lord spoke. Now notice in verse 7, the Lord didn't just speak. The Lord appeared. Now, if you've read the Bible for a long time, we might just read through this, and we, we're used to reading this language. If you're new to reading the Bible, you might read through this and wonder, okay, the Lord appeared. Like, what is, what's going on with that? Well, this appearing was a, a manifestation of God to Abram. We refer to these often as theophanies. They're uh, appearances of God, and we read about these happening a number of times with Abraham and his family, with Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. Uh, Moses, the narrator of Genesis, he'll write in, in Exodus later on in the Pentateuch about the Lord appearing to him in a burning bush. That was a, a theophany that's well-known and famous. Now, now again, Genesis is a history book. So this really happened. This appearing is not Moses just using imagery to try to illustrate a point. Verse 7 it gives us general details. We don't get as, as specific details like we get in Exodus 3 with the burning bush. It just says the Lord appeared. So it was some manifestation of God's presence that, that really happened. And in the Old Testament, these theophanies or these appearings of God, they were often connected to God's covenantal relationships with people. These, these appearances, what they did, and what we see happening here in Genesis 12, they provided confirmation. They provided assurance of God's promises. Now notice here that in verse 7, God appeared. But, but first, he didn't appear to Abram. In verse 1, he, he spoke. Verse 7 is not where Abram's faith originated. Verse 1, he heard the word of the Lord. His faith came from hearing. Verse 7, he's in the land. God appears to him as he sees the stage set. Land filled with cursed people, maybe wondering, what's going to happen here? Where is this land? How am I going to be able to take control of this land? And God graciously appears, confirms his promises, and assures Abram in his faith. Now, you may wonder, why doesn't God appear like this today? And how can you as a Christian have God's promises confirmed in your life? Now, while verse 7 describes what actually happened with Abram, doesn't give us the expectation this will be the norm on an ongoing basis in the Christian life. So we have assurance, and we have confirmation today as Christian, but it doesn't come from the Lord appearing to you when you go home today and spend time in the Word. It doesn't happen to the Lord appearing behind us on the big screen. Right? That's not how God has chosen to confirm and to assure His people. Today, Christians, we have the written Word of God, and we have the incarnate 
word of God. God has spoken to us in his word. Faith comes from hearing, from hearing the Bible. And the normal way for Christians to hear the voice of God is to listen to the Bible. Today, Christians have the written word of God and the incarnate word of God has appeared. God appearing in the flesh in his son, Jesus. So in the Old Testament, the appearing of God to his people, it foreshadows the glorious appearance of God condescending down to earth in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ultimate appearing of God. Jesus is the ultimate theophany. It's what the Old Testament was building up to, the Son of God appearing in the flesh. He came down from heaven, fully God and fully man. And the appearing of Christ on earth was the confirmation of God's covenant promises to all who would believe in him. The Apostle Paul put it like this in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. Our assurance is found in Jesus. The confirmation of God's promises found in Jesus. Through his death on the cross to pay for sin, through his glorious resurrection from the dead, we have full confirmation of God's promises to bless and to save people from all nations who would repent and believe in him. Now, while the Lord appeared to Abram to confirm his promises and to assure his faith, today, Christians are assured of God's promises. We're encouraged in our faith as we hear God's word and as we look to Christ. And while faith comes from hearing and while Christianity is primarily a religion of the ear, God has given us a couple of visuals. And one of those we get to see today. He's given us baptism. Jesus left us with baptism as an ordinance of the church. And this morning, we get to see the power of the gospel in this sign of death and burial resurrection of Jesus Christ. The second Sunday of every month, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's a visual. We get to see signs of Jesus' body given for us, his blood shed for us, confirmation of his promises, assurance that God has stayed true to his word in Jesus. Well, in verse 7 and 8, we see another response there. There's obedience and there's worship. Look at verse 8. So he built there an altar to the Lord. Abram's response to God appearing was to worship God. Altars were places of worship. There were places constructed on earth to worship the God of heaven. And here in chapter 12, God was being worshipped in this land at the altar. In verse 8, he builds a second altar in a different part of the land. And notice, at the end of verse 8, there he built an altar to the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord, giving praise to God, giving praise to the Lord. This was an act of worship, and it was an act of dedication. One commentary I read this week suggested that this construction of altars was an act of Abram reclaiming this land for God's kingdom, for his name and glory. Setting up these altars across the land was claiming that land for God. At that time, it was filled with a cursed people, but this land would become a land that God would be worshipped and obeyed in. And Abram, constructing those altars, was saying, God, you are going to be faithful to your promise. You are going to do something new here. Your name will be worshipped and revered here in this land. Well, Abram's descendants, the nation of Israel, they would go on to receive that land one day. And eventually, in that very land, one would be born who would come to reclaim the nations for God. Jesus Christ, 
born in Bethlehem, there in that land, the one who came from heaven, fully God and fully man, to reclaim the nations for God. Through him, all who call upon his name, from every tribe and tongue and nation, would come to know God, redeemed and purchased by his own blood shed on the cross. You see, Jesus came to redeem a people for God. And just as Abram was called out of idolatry to worship the one true God, Christ himself calls people from all nations to forsake the present world, to turn away from sin, to repent of sin against God and put faith in him for forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to the God who created us. Through Jesus Christ, all who turn to him have divine protection in this life and divine protection to safely pass into the next life where we will be welcomed into the hands of our loving Father for eternity. You see, life in the passenger seat is a life of resting in Christ. It's a good life. It's a life of comfort. It's not always easy, often marked with difficulties and pain. And as Christians, we can be honest about that because we know where pain comes from. We've learned about it in the book of Genesis. But nonetheless, a good life where we are loved and kept and preserved to finally belong to our God and King. Life in the passenger seat is a life of believing Christ and resting in Him. And as J.C. Ryle said, may we not glory in our own faith, May we glory in nothing but Christ. Let's pray.